Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. We are observing Pentecost in year A, and um, this is folded into the series that we've been in throughout this Easter season, He Lives. And today our theme is He Lives to Pour Out His Spirit. So rounding out this Easter season uh, with a celebration of the Holy Spirit and His work. Um, before I get into much to our uh, content today, let me just remind you of who is with us. Uh, Pastor Tyler Peel from Prince of Peace in Salt Lake City, Pastor Brett Krause from Zion Lutheran in Denver. They've been with us throughout this He Lives series. And with us today is also Pastor James Tiefel from Trinity and St. John's in Mequon, Wisconsin. So thank you to all of you for serving today, uh, Brett and Tyler, for this whole series. Um, Brett Krause, could you give us a few words about Pentecost in year A and the theme that comes through for this Sunday? Yeah, so thanks, John. As you said, we've been following the, the He Lives theme throughout the Easter season, and now on Pentecost, we see He Lives to Pour Out His Spirit. And really, that's just, I suppose you could say this is yet another promise that Jesus kept in a long line of promises that he's been keeping. Um, you go back to Jesus talking to his disciples before he died, and he's been making promises to them. He promised that he was going to suffer and die, and then he did it. He promised that he was going to rise from the grave three days later, and he did it. Uh, then he promised them, after I rise, I'm going to meet you in Galilee, and then he did it. He promised them that he was going to ascend back to his father's side in heaven, and then he did it. And on Pentecost, you could really say this is that last promise, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon you. And on this day of Pentecost, he kept that promise too, and he did it. And maybe the follow-up question is, okay, well, how big of a deal is that? Uh, how significant is it that he gives his church the gift of the Holy Spirit? And Pentecost, I suppose, allows us to bring what's rightfully the behind-the-scenes work of the Holy Spirit out in front of the camera so that we can talk about what the Spirit does. Um, and so we can we can rejoice in it. And it allows us to see maybe the foundational work of the Spirit, that he, he brings us to saving faith in Christ, connects us to Christ through the message of the gospel. And then he also equips his people and empowers those he's made believers to go ahead and be witnesses of Christ in the world. Uh, and again, on Pentecost, we get to focus on, on both of those beautiful aspects of the Holy Spirit's work. So it is a significant thing. Um, we, we close up the festival half of the church year on this day, and this is the third major festival that we get to celebrate. And maybe that's something to bring out with your people. Christmas, Easter, Pentecost. To most of us, it seems like one of those doesn't fit with the other two. Uh, but it's just as significant, just as important, because, uh, again, the Spirit's work is, is vital. It connects us to Christ, and, and we get to celebrate, celebrate it with a festival just as equal as, as those other two. Yeah, thanks for that reminder about the importance of uh, this festival. Uh, Tyler Peel, uh, we're going to be focusing on the second reading today as our sermon text. But could you give us uh, a quick synopsis of the gospel of the day and the first reading and show us how they relate to the reading that we'll be discussing? Sure, and maybe I'll do them in that order since um, we won't necessarily read them that way. But the gospel is the promise that Brett was just talking about that's fulfilled, actually, 
in the first lesson, uh, again, as it's been all Easter season from the book of Acts. Um, so John chapter seven, just three verses there. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, and uh, he's at a point where people are still confused about him and, and going both ways as they did, uh, not necessarily making friends among some, but there are some who are amazed at his teaching. They're there for this festival where they remember God's provision for them. And um, the commentators will point out part of the ceremonies uh, at this festival was for the priest to carry a pitcher of water daily from the fountain at the pool of Siloam and pour it out uh, at the altar. And it seems maybe Jesus then stands at the end of this um, and makes this statement about anyone who is thirsty uh, receiving living water from him. That's a, a theme that has, of course, uh, found different spots in the book of John. Uh, and Jesus there gives the promise um, I, that he will pour this living water in and it will uh, so fill the, the those who believe in him that it will overflow from them. And John interprets it for us at the end of these verses saying, this is the spirit that Jesus is talking about. Um, the spirit who gives uh, Christ to those who believe and then they are witnesses and give Christ uh, to others. Just before Jesus ascended, he made the promise again. We talked about that last week. You will receive the spirit uh, not many days from now. So I think this is where we get the, the theme from today. He lives to pour out. Uh, it's direct quote from what Jesus is saying. Well, then the Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 21, is the historical account of Pentecost. It's promise fulfilled, and, um, and yet, as Brett was hinting at, promise uh, not done. It's the one, it's the promise that is, uh, that continues. Um, so the festival, I, I heard someone compare it to uh, the wedding day. The, the big, wonderful, miraculous things on Pentecost, kind of like a flashy wedding day, um, but it doesn't end there. Now there's the marriage, and uh, so it is for the church. Pentecost and then Jesus is still, by his grace, sending his spirit, and thank God for it. So, um, you know, there's just so much to talk about in Acts chapter 2. Um, the wonders are amazing. It, it, for lack of a better way to say, it feels right on Pentecost, like God is is showing up in his church, I suppose. Um, it'd be easy to make a theologian of glory if he spent too much time talking about the wonders of the day. But it is wonderful, obviously. Um, the big miracle, of course, is that the gospel, the spirit in the gospel is reuniting humanity with um, one message, but in all of these tongues, these natural human languages, um, but supernatural ability to speak in them. Um, so there's the gospel reuniting people, and I think Pentecost is a day that helps us square up again with the purpose of the church that can be lost in budgets and programs and whatever else, all this good stuff that goes on. Um, but here's the center, right? This is a place where God, Christ sends his spirit as he is proclaimed and there's forgiveness and there in his name and there is life for hurting and the thirsty souls that Jesus was talking about. Um, three, my third point was simply that the ongoing miracle is that a crowd will gather in his name still this Sunday um, and each one of them a miracle. The fact that we believe uh, the spirit is still working. Um, and then I think, you know, one more thing that just struck me, we know 
how we watch and see how the spirit can um, unite and um, start a fire. We pray about that. We sing about it on Pentecost. Uh, and it reminds us that um, God is able to do amazing things and we should call on him. It doesn't mean it's always going to work out exactly like we'd like. Uh, but of course, in the end, we do know that we will be united in the most wonderful way in the kingdom. And then my favorite verse is the, the closing one after Peter is quoting from Joel. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are no exceptions. I think that ties in with what we'll talk about in our uh, second lesson today. It's not a matter of having certain gifts or something like that. Everyone who calls on the name, on the name that has been placed on us and given to us, the name in which we live and breathe and have our being, uh, all will be saved. It's a big, beautiful invitation to live in that name. So those are a couple things on those two lessons, John. All right. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, let's move to our sermon text for uh, this Sunday. It is 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 3 through 11. Um, and Jim Tiefel, would you get us started in thinking about this text and uh, how we might go about preaching it? Just a couple of things to lead into that. I think it's kind of interesting <clears throat> that um, this John 7 gospel is new to Pentecost. It was not in the old Christian worship lectionary. It is not part of the historical lectionary. I didn't go back and look and see if it was any in any of the other old lectionaries, but this is a new reading, um, which makes it a little bit more of a challenge if you're going to preach on the gospel on this particular day. The other thing is that I've always thought is interesting about Pentecost is that what Jesus' baptism is for Jesus the public manifestation that he is the one that God has chosen to be the savior of the world. That is what Pentecost is for the church, the public manifestation that the church has been chosen by the spirit, by God to carry the message into the world. And I said that there were some interesting, interesting similarities there. It's one of the reasons why you'll notice in the, in the new Christian worship, that hymns for Pentecost are separated from hymns for the work of the Spirit. And, and it means to, to point out the specific function or the specific purpose of Pentecost. Well, I'm sorry about that. But those are just a couple of little things about Pentecost that I think are kind of interesting. Well, as, as, as all of you know, this text from 1 Corinthians 12 is really the it really begins a three-chapter treatment of the whole issue of spiritual gifts and how they serve the church. So the main point of this first section, which is the text, um, is that these gifts are from the spirit for the common good. Um, in other words, they're for the good of the church. So I wanted to keep focused on the spirit and on the giving of those gifts of edification. So I, I preached on this last Sunday, actually, and the theme was simple. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church. Nothing flashy about that, but I think that is really the specific, the, the, the specific purpose of this text or the specific um, proposal of the text. So if you, if you start looking at the text then, I saw verses one to three as the introduction to the entire set of chapters and to this section. 
I wish they would have chosen 1 to 11 and not just 3 to 11, because I think that there's information in 1. Now I'm going to, about your questions about spiritual gifts, and then verse 2 really sets the law foundation for what's coming next. Well, they didn't decide to do that, but I put it in my sermon anyway. Um, so the first and most important gift of the Spirit is to work faith, which confesses Christ. And Luther, I mean, every kid memorizes this. Every Lutheran kid memorizes this. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except except by the Holy Spirit. So it's 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 natural to quote Luther there. I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or doing, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, nor come to Him. So you have the what what I saw was the first main point of the sermon is really to emphasize the Holy Spirit's work of of creating faith which confess Christ. And to me, that was. I got my first part of my sermon just out of that verse. Um, then in 4 to 11, there is more information now about spiritual gifts. So he's going to get into the subject of spiritual gifts. When I looked at 4 to 7, and then 11, which really makes a similar point. First of all, all believers have spiritual gifts. He talks about gifts in everyone and to each one. Two, they are all gifts of grace. It's interesting that Paul uses the word charismatic, charismat, charismaton rather than pneumaticon. And then, so they all come from God, and you could make a point about the Trinity, but I, I thought it drifted from, from the main point of the sermon. So I wouldn't have I wouldn't have made a big point of of spirit, Lord, and God. And three, they are all intended for the common good, and that was to nourish believers and to call unbelievers. So that was, I thought, the first point of the second part of the sermon. I knew that I needed to list and explain the gifts that Paul mentions here, but it's interesting that in the latter half of 1 Corinthians 12, he lists another set of verses. In Romans, he lists another set. In Ephesians, he lists another set. So I went through the ones here, but I mentioned the fact that there are others listed elsewhere. So I worked through wisdom, knowledge, heroic faith, and distinguishing between spirits, which I saw as gifts that the spirit continues to show in the church today. Then I said, then I said, now we got to look at these other ones. And I talked about healing, miraculous powers, prophecy. And I know some commentators say that prophecy is nothing other than preaching. But I, I, as I looked around, I think that the commentators who say that this is prophecy with that is based on direct revelation, like John would have had for the revelation or like Paul would have had. So I consider that to be a that to be a gift which is no longer identified in the church, and of course, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And I knew that I had to explain that these gifts in the first era or the first epoch of the church's history were similar to the miracles that Jesus performed during his ministry. 
and that was that they were there to validate the authority of the church, and that these gifts became unnecessary with the advent of the New Testament canon. So I made a distinction between the two sets of gifts. <clears throat> I intended then to use that comparison to make the, the point that the gifts of the Spirit are not static, but that the Spirit bestows gifts that are needed in the church. I'm not going to, I had a long list that I'm not going to repeat, but the, the church in Corinth didn't need composers and music players. The church today does. The church in Corinth didn't need experts to design and build churches. The church today does. And I had a list of those. I decided, well, I said that. I would need to make the point that all of these people in the pew have spiritual gifts. And I, and I made that point strongly. I said the challenge is for you to recognize the spiritual gift and then to use it. So that was really pretty much of the instructional part of the sermon. I, I then had another shorter paragraph where I encouraged them to appreciate the gifts of the spirit that are given to others. So in my two churches, which are very close to the seminary, half of them have never even been on the seminary campus. And so I could make a natural application to learn from our senior assistant or to notice in our early field training students or to notice in, in, um, in um, visits to the seminary, all of those other spiritual gifts and a pastor in, different, in a different situation could see those spiritual gifts in other people and could use different examples of how that might work. So as I, I know it's kind of unfair to have this podcast when I've already preached on this text, but um, my theme was simple. The spirit gives gifts to the church and part one was to create faith and part two was to nourish faith. So I think, I think it's basically you're making two points from this text and, and maybe maybe the other two guys see other points that I miss so feel free no that's very helpful I, I think uh, it's a good way of covering the main work of the Holy Spirit as the text points out here uh, creating faith in people's hearts and then uh, leading them to express that faith by giving them spiritual gifts which in turn nourishes their faith and others as they use those gifts uh, for the benefit of the whole church. Um, yeah, let's get uh, Tyler and Brett in here then too. Uh, your thoughts uh, reacting to what Jim has laid out for us or additional points that you want to bring out in this text? Brett? Yeah, I, I'm breathing a big sigh of relief right now because I've preached on this text in the past too, and it was actually very similar to what Pastor Tiefel had just laid out. And that has to be a miracle of the Holy Spirit right there, because uh, <laughs> Pastor Tiefel's gifts in preaching and understanding scripture far exceed mine. But, oh, I don't think that's true, but go ahead. I so, like hearing but, it, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is really a neat thing to think about this, this text. And a theme that I used was, and the cycle continues, because we're really just talking about the cycle of the Holy Spirit's work. And when you lay it out and you think about it that way, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, Jesus pours him out, and the first thing he does is 
He creates the miracle of faith in hearts that are spiritually dead, that are unable to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and mean it, except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does that. He creates the miracle of faith in the heart of a believer. Uh, But then he doesn't stop there. He says, all right, now I've got these believers that are a part of God's family and a part of the church, and I'm going to give them even more gifts. I'm going to pour out all of these, these gifts upon them. And just like Pastor Tiefel said, the nine or so or whatever that are mentioned here are just some of them. They're probably the ones the Corinthians had specific questions about. So, so Paul deals with those specific ones. But and the ones they were misusing. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly right. And I think it's a good thing in the sermon to to make sure that's clear and and to list. Here are a bunch of other ones, whether it's those other passages in scripture or ones that we're using in the church today to give people this idea of, wow, yeah, there are tons of spiritual gifts that that the spirit has added on top of my saving faith. The one common gift that we all share is that we can confess Jesus Christ as Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we have all of these different gifts given to different people in the church, just as the spirit determines so that we can go out and use those for a purpose, as Paul says, for the common good. And, and, and the greatest good that the Spirit can accomplish through those other gifts is to bring more people to faith as we use those gifts in connection with sharing the gospel so that more and more and more and more can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord uh, and bring more and more people into the church. And I think there's really an opportunity to confess and to teach. So that specific cycle of how the Holy Spirit works, it's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. You know, those 12 men, they were already confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through the power of the Holy Spirit. So then in this very intense and dramatic way, the Spirit pours out on them all of these other spiritual gifts on top of their one common shared faith. And they're using those gifts, they're they're speaking in other languages. They're speaking the gospel message in other languages so that other people can understand it. They're speaking it with a boldness that they didn't have before, uh, even in the face of persecution and ridicule. Uh, they're speaking it and understanding it with a clarity that they just didn't have before. These are all spiritual gifts. They, they can speak it with a clarity so that those who are hearing it can understand. Um, and, and what's the result? What's the common good that results? Um, you read to the end of Acts chapter two and 3000 believers are now confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, and then those believers are given spiritual gifts and then they create more believers. So the spirit does through, through them using those gifts. And eventually the Corinthians come to faith uh, and they're given spiritual gifts and the cycle just continues. And, and here we are today, 2000 years later, still coming to faith, still receiving spiritual gifts still using them for the common good so that others can confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And why is that? It's because the the cycle of the Holy Spirit can't be stopped. It can't be slowed down. uh, It just continues to happen. Uh, So I don't think I said anything new or different than what Pastor Tiefel said, but uh, just just saying amen to all of those Mm -hmm. thoughts that come out in the text. Yeah, a common thing that I note in uh, what both of you have said, Jim and Brett, is that you want to depict for people how the Spirit is at work among us right now, um, even as he has been, okay, uh, among the Corinthians on the day of Pentecost, 
that the Spirit's work is not just a historical thing. This is a, a thing that's going on here and now as he creates faith and nourishes faith. Um, yeah, I think that's an important point to make. Uh, uh, Tyler, let, let's get you in here. Uh, thoughts uh, on this text and um, the work of the Spirit that it portrays? Yeah, thanks. Um, I think I'm just building on all of those wonderful points. Uh, the angle that I was coming at this text with was this this setting in Corinth. I mean, it's not hard to, you know, to read very far to find out that they had trouble with unity and there's always something wanting to drive a wedge between those folks and their love. And I think that's part of um, this text. So I spent a fair amount of time with this spirit uniting uh, idea. And, you know, maybe it's part of the context that I'm in where in, in Salt Lake City, we Lutherans are, you know, in this congregation, an island of sorts, but that we have each other, that God gave us these people in this place at this time and gave them gifts to serve us and gave us ser gifts to serve them. And what are the, you know, what, how will that play out? Um, I think my theme might be, uh, where's it going to stop or where does it end? Um, so that I can talk about the gifts that did stop, it seemingly at least, and then those that don't until we stand together um, this great diversity that we even see in our congregations um, and with our own eyes, we see the glory. Um, so Professor Tifa wanted to add verses one and two. I'd like to add 12 and 13 because it kind of then bookends my idea here. In verse three, it seems like, let's start here. If you confess, you have the spirit. Like this is even in the, the playing field. Uh, then it, I think it's verse 13. Um, all of you are baptized, drank of one spirit. So in case you Corinthians or whoever else thought uh, that you had a little um, better line on the spirit. No, everyone has the spirit, as he pointed out. We all have gifts. Um, not all the same, of course. Um, and uh, to keep it in its humble spot, remember Paul has said in 1 Corinthians, we're nothing but given to, right? Everything we have. Well, here is the manifestation of the spirit. It is given. That word keeps showing up. Uh, spirit is, he is given um, and has to be given. It's not like this unity or these gifts are just your possession and you stick them in your pocket and go home. This is when you are in the presence of Christ and the gospel that this will continue to, he is continually manifested. Um, and what a beautiful thing to watch for, right? It's Pentecost, when will it end? Well, it's still going on in the Sunday school classroom down the hallway with that spiritual gift of being able to teach it to somebody. Um, I, I guess I should say, I wanted to go to verse 12 and 13, but I was also on the scripture committee of the hymnal. So I guess I'm um, crying out to the wrong guys. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I put up a fight uh, when I was there, but you can only have so much reading on Sunday morning. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, preaching law and gospel from this text. Uh, what did you identify as uh, a malady? Um, is it something here right in the text or is it the, I mean, the larger context of chapters 12 through 14 or first Corinthians as a whole, uh, what did you point to as a kind of a malady, uh, Brett? I was going to say you two might as well have just added chapters 13 and 14 and do the whole <laughs> spiritual gift well, section, sure, keeping exactly, there till Monday. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, I think Tyler, you were talking about this with, with the, what was going on in Corinth. Paul had to address this 
because they were they were misusing their spiritual gifts. They were receiving these things. And it, it seems like the Corinthians maybe thought the gifts themselves were the be all and end all of the Holy Spirit's work so that they could possess them and then just really use them for their glory, uh, maybe use them for their own individual good. Uh, look how great I am because I have this gift. Um, so look at me. And, and Paul has to set them straight and say, the, the gifts are really just a tool that the Holy Spirit uses so that they can pass through you uh, so you can use them for the common good of bringing more people to faith in Christ so they can confess Jesus Christ as Lord. So let's receive the gifts and remember why the Holy Spirit has given them and what we can use them for. And we can make a lot of, of law applications to our own people about um, a misuse of, of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. If we're using them in a way that brings ourselves glory, um, you know, the two ditches that can get in the way when it comes to spiritual gifts are pride for the gifts that I have and jealousy for the gifts that I don't have. Uh, so a lot of, of maladies to talk that way. And then I suppose as we're just thinking about how the text itself heals those maladies, Paul himself says, let's remember that these are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives and he distributes them just as he determines. So what you have, there's no really room for pride there because the Holy Spirit determined that you'd have that gift in that amount. Uh, and the ones you don't have, well, there's no there's no need for jealousy there because the Holy Spirit determined that you don't need that gift in that amount because he gave that gift in that amount to Bill over there or to, to Mary over there. And and you can really highlight the diversity of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives for the purpose of the unity, as, as Tyler really was bringing out in, in his thoughts for the, the text. Well, I think, I think you got to be careful that you don't get too much into the next section, you know, where, where you're going to where you're going to talk about many different gifts and how they all fit together. I mean, there's a, there's a tendency to want to solve the entire Corinthian problem in one sermon. And I think these other ones come up someplace, you know, and I, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but I think, I think you, you have to, you have to focus your attention on, you know, exactly what is he addressing in this particular section of the, of the three chapters. Mm -hmm. Another thing I think to, to, that helps help me was there are some gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to only a few like the gift of wisdom to be able to know how to apply the law and the gospel to specific individuals, the gift of knowledge, how to present the teachings of the scripture in a logical and concise way, the gift of heroic faith, which is just to bombard the throne of God, the gift of interpreting the spirits. I said this is a gift that a lot of pastors have, but not all pastors have this gift. And some lay people have this gift. So, so some gifts are, are, are stingily given. That's not the right word I want. But whereas other gifts are to take existing created talents, like the gift of music or the gift of, of, of architecture or the gift of bookkeeping, and then to take them over by the spirit and use them for the benefit of the church. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, uh, Tyler, adding to this? Yeah, to, to this malady idea. I mean, um, Brad was talking about those ditches of maybe being jealous of someone or puffed up over your own. Absolutely. I think those are the main ones. I think that, however, we all can be timid with this stuff, right? It's easier, maybe uh, lazy, easier not to use it for the common good. Um, I think I could sure spend more time uh, praying for the gifts. Jesus said, you know, ask for the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a wonderful thing about Pentecost Day. It, it, you can't leave without having thought about and asking the Spirit for um, the fire of his love. Uh, and then maybe just the last thing is... Uh, how often I, do I really rejoice over the other gifts that God has put in people to serve me or to, to watch them play out in the, uh, as, they, as they put flesh on the love of Christ day in and day out? Right. Well, you know, this whole, this whole thing with maladies. I mean, I taught maladies in homiletics classes for 30 years. But I mean, how, you, can't always, you, you can't always find a malady which covers the entire text. Mm -hmm. or you and even if you can you can't preach on it you can't otherwise you preach for 30 minutes <laughs> you know so so in part one i think the malady that that i addressed was i believe that i cannot by my own thinking or choosing i mean that the, the malady of unbelief and i i i cured that with the gift that the spirit gives us right. i would say in the second half of my sermon it was it was more instructional then it was law and gospel. I mean, you can you can say there are times when we don't appreciate the gifts of others, but you're not going to tell them you're going to hell if you keep thinking that way. You know, I mean, it, it isn't. It's more third use of the law than it is than it is first or second use of the law. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with believers as they live in the reality of. Um, uh, appreciating their own gifts, um, striving to do that and appreciate one another's gifts, utilizing the gifts, right? So it's more of a, perhaps more of an instruction in um, uh, doing this in the context of uh, a sinful world, yet as people equipped and empowered by the Spirit too. Uh, Tyler? Now, is it a problem if I tell the folks uh, as a malady that these they should be speaking in tongues? <laughs> yeah, I think that might be. That's a problem, answer. okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's yeah, not everybody's course, gift. We we've uh, we've kind of highlighted the cure here. The cure uh, to these things comes through in just the work of the Spirit that is front and center throughout the text. Right, the gracious work, the powerful work, the the work that is given out of love uh, for me, a receiver of the Spirit's gifts, and for others through whom the Spirit can bless, uh, or through through me, the Spirit can bless others and others through me so um highlighting and the very and very practical gifts yeah i mean it, he's, he's a very practical spirit and the other point that i made I, I saw a reference in one of the commentaries to a book entitled the holy spirit the shy member of the trinity so i kind of played with that in in the introduction and and i described the amazing nature of what the apostles encountered on the day of pentecost I said, the truth is, this isn't less amazing. These gifts that the Spirit, it's just as amazing. Yeah. And I think one of you mentioned, maybe Brett mentioned, uh, uh, or, or maybe all three of you have in different ways, um, uh, highlighting sometimes the gifts that are active right among your own people 
Um, maybe not calling out people by name, although I don't know if that's always a, a bad thing if it's done discreetly and you know you know the people that you're dealing with. Um, and I don't mean calling them out in bad ways, but for good things, um, you know, to point out, hey, look around us and look how the spirit is at work uh, in this body of believers and um, how we are blessed in different ways by different people's gifts. Um, so again, you know, do it with discretion. It might, might be better done anonymously, but just opening people's eyes to the, the miraculous working of the spirit right here and, and right now among us. Any further thoughts uh, that you might use to help uh, bring the text alive for people? Uh, Tyler, further thought? Well, I just, I, I love what you just said. And I, uh, Professor Deutschlander is always in my ear. He's saying, if you, if you guys would just watch for it, the spirit is alive in those people. He's living and breathing, uh, you know, watch, quit watching for the speck all the time um, to preachers, you know, and just rejoice. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jim, uh, you had something to say? Uh, something to add? Nope, oh, just check your audio once more. I'm not quite able to. There it is. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, I said from the pulpit, I looked out at them and I said, of course, there's not a whole lot of them out there, but I looked out at them and I said, I've got to know you pretty well. And, and I see spiritual gifts in every single one of you. I'm not going to make a list right here from the pulpit, but you could ask me about it after church if you want to. So, you know, to, to let them know yeah. that, that you see those gifts that they don't always think mm -hmm. about having, you know? Right. Yeah, that's a good way to do what I, what I was thinking of, too. Uh, right. Just point out, as your pastor, I see these. I see the Spirit's work among us. Um, yeah, let's talk later about uh, do you see those in yourself and do you see maybe some of the opportunities um, to put those gifts to work for the common good, for the blessing of a lot of people? But, uh, Tyler? I, I think that's so practical. I was at Michigan Seminary for a couple of years and dealing with seniors who are going to graduate and they would tell me about going to colleges and trying to be recruit, rec you know, they're trying to recruit them to that school and they would say, a few of them said, you know, they sat, they sat us down in front of a computer screen and it basically had what jobs were going to be up and coming and what the salaries would be. Uh, what a miserable, you know, what a way to set up a kid to fail miserably instead, right, to think about what God has given you um, before you're going to pick a vocation to serve him in, right? What are your gifts? Uh, maybe that's an op this is an opportunity to lead people to recognize what's what's alive in them. Yeah, yeah, by way of uh, just application of, of the text, uh, creating an awareness, a greater awareness of people's uh, gifts that the Spirit has given them and equipped them with, right? Great. Well, any, any further thoughts uh, to uh, round out our discussion here? Uh, I just wanted, I wanted to say that I really found the Concordia commentary on 1 Corinthians by Gregory Lockwood to be really helpful. And if I were still buying books, of course, I'm not anymore, but if I were still buying books, that's one I would certainly buy. And I'd encourage guys to think about, about that purchase. He has an excellent section of discursus on the whole concept of spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, it's well done. Yeah. yeah. Got to read. Yeah. I second that recommendation. Um, 
All right. Well, let's wrap up for today. I think we've given some preachers some good things to think about as they celebrate the festival of the coming of the Holy Spirit and uh, lead people into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, to contemplating and praising the Spirit for the gifts that he has given and still gives to his church. So the Lord bless you, preachers, as you proclaim that wonderful message. We done?